Again, I want to thank you for joining us here at Crosstown. Um, it's been quite a week, and um, I know we've been in the middle of learning about cherishing relationships. Life seems to have taken us beyond the things that we personally want to identify as cherishable, the relationships that we want to be in, and it's kind of shoved us out of our comfort zone. Um, the racial injustice that we've witnessed, uh, or to put it bluntly as it really is, the murder of George Floyd, um, for a lot of us, has opened our eyes to the hardship of others. And um, today, as I, I go into this and I talk about it, I, I don't talk about it so much as a somebody that has all the answers. I'm uh, really talking to somebody who's trying to learn, somebody who's trying to discover and to kind of back up a little bit and, and understand how not only has America arrived here, but how have I arrived here? How have I developed the biases that I have and, and, and maybe even some of the blindness that I have in my life? Um, so today, normally when I get into a sermon, I can roll right along and get real charged up. But I want to be very sure to be precise with the usage of words and have precision in it, because I think it's really important in a time like this. Um, and as I was thinking about all the images and the graphical representations of the state of affairs, you know, pictures on the internet, pictures on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you see the news all the time. Uh, there's a lot of images and a lot of response to what has taken place. And I'm somebody, I'm not a real good writer. Um, I'm somebody that learns and visualizes real well. I, I, I picture things in my mind and of certain things to understand things. And as people were putting out images, I was trying to interpret these images to understand what they were saying through the images. And so I kind of set out to create my own image representing what I thought was God speaking to me in this moment. But it required me to back up a little bit. The Rienzo family um, that I come from is, it takes its roots in Bayside, which is uh, in Queens in New York City. So a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of New Yorker in me um, even though I was born and raised in Boston. Um, Pop used to take us to Grandpa's at least once a year. We would visit Grandpa. Uh, and a lot of times we would stop, we'd do the uh, Staten Island Ferry, and we'd get the big pretzels, uh, Statue of Liberty. We'd go to New Jersey, Long Island. But on one of these stops, we stopped to see the Empire State Building, which at the time was the largest building in the world. And we would go up to the 86th floor, the observation deck that was there. Now, back then, if you put a penny or a nickel into the giant binoculars, you would see all around New York. It was what I will call today the perspective from the top is that you had the ability to look further than everyone else did. You had ability to look at the big picture of what was going on in New York City, to see the panoramic view of, of life. But the interesting thing is that even though you could see further, it didn't mean that you could see better. See, this memory stuck into my head as a young kid. It was the perspective from the top. It's a perspective and a way of thinking that has led me to this moment. It is this perspective as a 61-year-old white male baby boomer that I speak. 
Um, because that's the only perspective that I can have at this particular moment. And it's into that mindset that I believe Christ wants to speak into me. And I just wanted to hear, let you hear how he's speaking into me because maybe he would speak into your life as well. My mom and pop were generous people, very generous people. Matter of fact, the whole New York, Rienzo, Knoll tribe uh, was very generous. Mom and pop foster cared kids who became our sisters. They were, they were from Philly. Um, they would take trips with their church down to Roxbury in Boston and do charity work. Matter of fact, as I was thinking about it, I never heard a racist word from my father or my mother growing up. But as I grew up, there were no or few minorities in my town. In my parochial school, there was maybe one or two minorities in the whole school. And, and if they were there, I never knew their names. And one of the things that I remember is that while I was a young boy in the 60s, enjoying my models of the Mercury and Gemini and Apollo space programs and having all my spaceships and following through the 60s all the way to landing on the moon in 69, my black counterparts were fighting for their basic civil liberties. And from where I was standing, um, I didn't see it other than looking through the binoculars of the nightly news. But other than that, I was totally unaware of it. It didn't intersect my life. It didn't interrupt my way of life at all. And I am not faulting my parents in any, any way. See, everybody wants to see the city from the top. I mean, everybody does. And, and everybody wants their kids to see the city from the top. I just didn't see that some folks were not enabled to get to the top and to have the same vision that I was being given. And I think it's easy for all of us to, to miss those who don't have the 86th floor advantage of binoculars. All of my life, I have been given the, the ability to, to, through education and through care and through love and nurturing and, and provision, I have been given this position of observation from the 86th floor uh, and to be able to look through the binoculars and to see as far as a young a boy could possibly see growing up in my generation. We mapped out our lives, our futures with financial security, but all the while didn't see those who had to struggle just for social justice. So I constructed this image today to represent what I believe God is saying to me in this moment. I brought back those giant binoculars and that, and that, that view but what God wanted me to see was from my platform, from my 86th floor of advantage, that he didn't want me just to see the city anymore. He wanted me to see if I was seeing the people who need the same advantage that I've been given. And it all comes down to whether or not I just want to see and to see them. So in the midst of this jumbled up time of opinions and feelings and perspectives, injustices, crimes, protests, and anger, um, I've had to go back and find out, have I missed something? I mean, um, what I was began, beginning to see is that, that I was not raised as a racist, 
but I could begin to see that I was racially apathetic. And what I was now discovering is that both seem to produce the same outcome. So I began to look at this idea of missing people. And it seems to be real in our society that we can, we can totally just miss groups of people on our journey to the top, on our way to succeed and to, and to see our famous families flourish, that we, we can just miss people. And Jesus was in a culture that missed people all the time. And, and there's a story in the gospel of Mark where this exactly happens. But what I want us all to see what I needed to see was that Jesus doesn't leave this as a social norm any longer. Though everybody else is rushing through the crowd, doing the things that they need to do and being set on the things that they value and cherishing the things that they cherish, Jesus shows us that society at times needs to stop, that every one of us at times needs to stop and begin to cherish what he cherishes. So the story comes from Mark chapter five, starting in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying to Jesus, my little girl, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. I mean, who wouldn't go help a little girl? I mean, even Jesus's culture had a value structure. I mean, even like ours. I mean, if we begin to compare people of age and, and who needs medicine, who needs care, as, as we had to go through COVID-19, begin to figure out who needs beds. And, you know, as we, we have a social structure, we have a, a system of uh, who do we help? And, and Jesus was in a culture that was very much the same way. And who wouldn't help a little girl? Um, but, but not only that, it's a rich guy. And it's in the rich guy's kid who needs help. Okay, I mean, just because he's a rich guy and an influential guy doesn't mean he doesn't get help. But, but in this picture, I want you to see that the crowd is moving in the direction of a value structure that has been uh, socially laid out and that Jesus is going to heal a little girl, a daughter of a rich man, and off he goes. I'm not impugning Jesus of any type of prejudice. I'm just saying that there, you know, there are social structures and that Jesus is moving throughout these social structures. And that's what we wanna see is how he moves throughout these social structures. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. I mean, that, that just means they were pressed in on him. He was inundated with humanity. I mean, it was just, there was no room, just crowds and crowds of people. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about to the crowd and said, who touched my garments? 
See, I just absolutely love this. I mean, this is, this is where we learn. Jesus models the call of those with advantage. Who, he cries out, who needs my help? He's a person of advantage and he stops to, to notice and to discover a person of disadvantage. He's got a schedule, he's got things to do, he's busy about his day, he's even doing good things. But in the midst of it, he says, listen, society has to stop for even the least of us, for those who are in need. Well, his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, Jesus, and yet you say, who touched me? See, I believe that disciples articulate the problem and not just that problem. I'm talking about this problem. The problem that we're having right now is losing the who in the middle of the crowd, walking through the midst of people and not even seeing them, being busy about our lives and not even seeing the needs that are pressing up against us. As Reverend King quoted in his famous letter from Birmingham jail, groups tend to be more immoral than individuals. That when we get caught up in the crowd, the busyness of life, we begin to lose our awareness of our social responsibility to the who's that are around us. When we get busy in all the things that we do, whether good or bad, just in the throng and the pressure of life, that it's there when we're caught in the crowd that we are least moral. Maybe if you were to have taken the average German during the time of World War II and pulled them aside and explained to them what Hitler was doing in the Nazi party and, and they probably would have come to a personal awareness but in the midst of the, the crowd, in the midst of the force, the thronging of the political influence and the, the culture of the time, they find themselves standing guard outside the camps that were killing millions of Jews. We lose the who in the crowd all the time. But I'm willing to be stopped by the myopic perspective of the disciples. Jesus undauntedly turns around and looks for the who. As the verse says, and he looked around to see who had done it. He stops to see the who. He doesn't use his advantage just to see the city or to see the skyscraper or to see the future, but he stops to see the unseen who in the crowd. And this may sound harsh, but I believe America has become and that America is more of a crowd of unseen who's than a we the people nation. That my generation has been so busy to get to the top, so busy to get a room with a view, so busy to succeed and to give our families the best that we've pressed through the crowd and we have missed the unseen crowds, the unseen who. Jesus is willing to stop. And he was willing to stop in the middle of a good journey to heal the rich man's young daughter to see the forgotten who. 
I mean, these were all good things to, to be involved in helping this other man and his little girl. Those are all good things. But even in the middle of good things, uh, he stops to discover the face of the who. It's kind of what Dr. King said to the clergy and the religious of Birmingham during their protest against his protest for the oppressed. He said, I refuse to accept the idea that man is mere flotsam and jetsam in the river of life, unable to influence the unfolding events which surround him. I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starlight, starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. This is what Jesus does. He stops and he's, and he's saying, I refuse to go any further as long as there is uh, a who who has not been seen. The story continues. And Jesus looked around to see who had done this. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I mean, Jesus has people to save. Jesus has doctrine to declare. Jesus has a, a cross to carry. Jesus has humanity and God on his mind. But he was unwilling to forget to see the who in the crowd. In the middle of all the pressure, in the, all the responsibility, and all the good that could be done in another moment, in another place, in another time. Jesus stops and he's unwilling to forget the who who has not been seen. He turns to her and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I wonder how long has it been since someone has called her daughter. Um, how long has it been since I've called someone of another race, brother or sister? How many walked by her and saw her as an old, sick, disenfranchised widow? But Jesus calls her daughter, communicating to her at the most intimate level, belonging and belovedness. I mean, this is the good news. This is the gospel. On his way to heal a little girl, all esteemed with worth and value and the potential of success, Jesus gives the same to a who in the crowd that the advantaged had walked right by. Then Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now the scripture doesn't tell us what this woman believed about God. But as far as we know, Jesus gave her something to believe in. I mean, she had faith in Jesus and in what he could do for her life. 
And what this makes me realize is that it's time to give others something to have faith in. And now I'm not just talking about God. I'm talking about faith in, in us. I mean, um, she might not have even believed in God, but she believed in Jesus. And there was something about the quality of his life, the way that he cared for people, the way that he used it as his advantage for the sake of others, that she believed in that. So it made me ask myself the question, does America have faith in a 61-year-old white male to help heal her racial disease? Does America have faith in me? Right now, um, I think all that America expects out of a white baby boomer male is they expect me to take mine and retire at 67 or possibly die from COVID-19. I mean, what a, what a sad perspective to look at another individual. Um, and maybe it's time for us to give others something to believe in. And before they can believe in our, our unseen God, they need to know that they can believe in us. They've got to see something of him in us. They've got to hear us cry who in the middle of the crowd. They've got to be able to um, say, I can trust this individual because in the middle of their pursuit of success and all that they were doing, they stopped and they turned around so that I too could experience success. Now, I can't speak for everyone and, and some will criticize what I've said here today or maybe what I haven't said and, and I really can't control that. But I know that I have an advantage to share and I have a view of God and life that others would enjoy. It was Archimedes, the ancient Greek mathematician who once said, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it and I shall move the world. You see, advantage is not a possession. It's a power to move the world. And as Jesus said in Luke 12, everyone to whom much is given of him, much will be required. See, the power and the advantage that God has given me in life is not something for me to hoard or to own, but rather it is for me to find some place to put a fulcrum, a community, a people, a who in the crowd, so that I could use my advantage to leverage on their behalf so that they too can make the journey up 86 flights to have the observation and the privilege of the view of seeing the world around them and experiencing success. Remember, in your journey to get to the top, the closer you get there, the smaller the faces get. The more we, we pursue success, the more people and, and, and what their needs are begin to diminish in our sight. See, this is why God sends Jesus in the flesh to come to the earth. He wants us to know that he sees the who's, that he sees our faces. And then he tells us, as I have loved you, love one another. He says to us, go and find the who in the crowd. As a young boy growing up, I didn't see the African-Americans in the space program, but they were there. 
I didn't see the countless African Americans in the armed forces, but they were there. I didn't see the influence of the African Americans in the sciences, but they were there. I didn't see the leadership of African Americans in government, and at times they were allowed to be there as well. I didn't see African Americans as teachers in my school. I didn't see African Americans in my hometown. I didn't see African Americans anchoring the national news. And I didn't see African Americans as heroes portrayed in the movies. Well, I can see you now. And I see you as my fellow American. I see you as someone who deserves the opportunity to succeed. I see now that justice has not been blind. I now see my responsibility to use my privilege, not as a possession, but as an empowerment to help others. I am not called to action because I am white. I am called to action because the God of heaven found me in a crowd and healed me and calls me to stop in the crowd also and cry out, who? So as we go into this moment of, of time with God and just giving him permission to speak into our lives, let me encourage you, if you need someone to pray with, um, call the number right now and just, and, and they'll pray with you that, um, that God will expand your heart to be able to see what he wants you to do. Um, download the notes from the app and, and find out and look over it prayerfully in this moment. And like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to love? How do you want me to lead? How do you want me to move into the world around? How do you want me to find the who's that we've, we've walked um, past? Paul said in Ephesians 3.14, he said, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. He said, I pray before God from whom every family in heaven is named. Not just the white ones, not just my family, but the Father of all. And God is calling us into this moment to look from our place of advantage, if we have one, and I think we all do, and begin to find the who in the crowd that we need to stop, that we need to, to leverage our advantage for so that they too can begin to see the world from the place of success. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. And God, as we move to this time together, at times it was harsh, at times it was difficult, at times it was exposing. But God, we pray that we would hear the heart of Christ for all men, for all peoples, not just for ourselves, but Lord God, that we would also hear the call of God in us to stop in the crowd and to discover the who's to stop the injustice, to stop the murder of my brother, to stop in the middle of the pursuit of success and to bring someone with me.